May 6th, and it will be drowning in his goodness. Having been uh, gone the majority of the last eight weeks, uh, and in other nations the whole time, I've missed you. It's good to hear worship in English. It's good to see Peyton and the team. What an incredible church Jesus Christ has built here. I am so proud of you and your lives. Every time I leave, the church grows, which is why I leave so often. The finest among us is that we are on teams. The ministry is not built around any one personality. Isn't that beautiful? You know, the word leader never appears in the Newer Testament. It's always plural. It's always leaders. And in this church, we are raising up some of the finest leaders that I've ever seen. In the last four months, LCM, people from this congregation, have been in ten nations. In the last four weeks, we were simultaneously on four continents at the same time. That's, uh, that's, quite, a, that's quite a stretch for a little garage church that started in a living room, huh? On top of all of that, we completed nine levels of advanced combat training for Acts 1 and nine levels of advanced combat training for Acts 2. And that's just this year, raising up another class of Holy Ghost, DCD, Legio Fulminata, Soldiers of Christ. Man, isn't that good? Do we have any DCD brothers in here? Yeah, can we hear you? Do? Who, who's the King of Kings? What's his name? Listen to that. That's our war cry. The King of Kings. In the last three days, I've had a chance. I mean, I've only been home three days to meet with the One Association churches. I want you to hear this list now. Chicago, Virginia, Louisiana, Texas, Houston, Texas, Dallas, Texas, Victoria, Indonesia, Peru, Romania, India, Mexico. That's 11 churches that are striving for the will of God and in brotherhood with each other. Look what the Lord is doing. He's been so faithful. Even where we have not been faithful, He has been faithful. Oh, that makes me... He's won my heart. Has He won your heart? We're accomplishing more and more places than I could have imagined or envisioned when this ministry began. As the pastors and I were meeting this morning... We universally landed on 2 Corinthians 9. And I want to read this to you. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 12. This was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. But I want you to know that as far as I'm concerned, the Holy Ghost is speaking it now with the same authority of Christ that Paul wrote with to you because he loves you. Amen. Who else is there? Uh, in Romania, they yell a colo. It's there. <laughs> so, hey, uh, 2 Corinthians 9.12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you. Because of the surpassing grace God has given you. 
Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I want to thank you for your service that flows from your faith. Romania wants to thank you for the service that flows from your faith. The King of Kings is proud of you. I am proud of you. And I just wanted to say, well done. For guys like Charlie and I, this is 25 years in the making, this vision. And you are accomplishing it. This seemed impossible, and it's happening. Oh, man, can you give King Jesus a hand? I'm going to take just a minute to do something that I don't normally do. I want to remind you of the creed that we formulated together in December as an announcement for the new year. I want you to hear how fitting it sounds given what has already been accomplished this year and we're not halfway done. Remember it was adapted from the book Words Aptly Spoken? It said, I am LCM from the fraternal and eternal order of the DCD. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am on the offensive for Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My losses are redeemed. My present is to make war. And my victory is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking and small planning, smooth knees, cowardly ambitions, faint-hearted faith and feckless objectives. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits or popularity. I now live by His presence Lean by his faith, love by his patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power unto the ultimate sovereignty of God. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide reliable, and my mission paramount. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, intimidated, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. Hesitate in the presence of adversity. Negotiate at the table of the enemy or ponder at the pool of popularity or even meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am on the war path for the cause of Christ. I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and proclaim until all are empowered. And when my time is up, we will, he will have no problem recognizing me. I am LCM. From the fraternal and eternal order of the DCD, I am not ashamed to fight for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hear these things sometimes. I've seen statements like this written on walls. But rarely does the walk match the talk. I want to applaud you. You have given till you have dropped. You have drawn the line in the sand. You have not backed up. I have never met a group of Christians this size that has done so much and we're just beginning. I couldn't tell you how proud I am to be a part of this church. In short, I wanted to say that I love you. Y'all ready to jump into our topic this morning? Yeah. Y'all not sleepy already, are you? You doing okay down there, Michael? Amen. We're going to start with 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. Somebody say there when you're there. I asked a man this morning, are you a Holy Ghost man? He said, yes, I am a Jesus man. What a perfect response. 
that is. The truth is, is that the Word and the Spirit point us to truth. Both are necessary. We cannot overemphasize one because they can't be overemphasized. But you can neglect one or the other. And we do not want to do that. With all of our heart, we want to hear what the Spirit is saying and see it written in His Word so that we know we are on the right path. This morning, I know that we are on the right path. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Somebody say, Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Say, Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. In this passage, you can see the Spirit, the Lord, and God represented in three neat verses. One of the things that is amazing is that our God's name is a plural noun. When you hear the word Elohim, anything that ends in I am in Hebrew is plural. He's Elohim because there is simply not enough terms to describe his goodness. And yet he always, say always, Always. gets a singular verb because his actions are singularly unified. There is no division in him. There is no dissension in him. He's not of two opinions about anything. He is always completely unified. The cry of Deuteronomy 6.4 is Shema Ya Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord is one. No matter how many different ways we express Him, whether you see seven branches of a menorah, but one menorah, or you see three statements about Him, but only one God, we see a plural unity in Him that is beautiful. And when His people are unified, it is in some sense carrying His name in a greater way. Can you say amen to that? When we're looking at this, this plural God, when He made His image of Him, He made only one man. He said, let us make man In our image. You are not in the image of an angel. You are in the image of the living God. And when he did it, he only made one man. And yet we're complex enough that you could pull a woman right out of a man's side. And we would never be complete without being united with her again. Oh man, the mysteries of the Godhead are immense. But one thing that we know. The full expression of God is found in the man Jesus Christ. He is the image of the radiance of God's glory. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the one who, according to John 1.18, makes the Father known. In looking at the work of Jesus, we see what the Father is like. In hearing the words of Jesus, we are hearing the words that the Father gave him to speak to us. When we know Jesus, we know the Father. So Colossians 2.9 says it this way. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Everything that you ever needed to know about the Father, everything that you ever needed to know about the work of the Godhead is found in the ministry of Jesus Christ. When we know Jesus, we know God. Isn't that beautiful? How many of you want to know Him better? What, you're raising your head? Are you scared to speak out loud in church? Did something change since I left? What happened to you? You lose the power of speech. Somebody say amen in the house of God. 
Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to say something. This church grew out of a living room. There is no formality here. What there is is an awesome reverence for God's work. You don't have to sit and play church. We don't do it. Amen. I want to talk to you about the Jordan River as it relates to Jesus Christ, as it relates to the Spirit of the Lord. Let me show you our first picture this morning. After five or six trips to Israel, I've had a chance to visit every corner of the country. And I love it because I've been studying it for decades. One of the things that is beautiful is when you look at the top right of your screen and you see the Banyas, and then in the middle you see the Dan, and then you look to the left, you see the Hasbani, and some translations say Hotpani. These are the three tributaries of the River Jordan. Right there at the bottom of your screen, they form a singular river. In substance, all three of those things are completely the same. And in substance, they flow together. It's only when you work to look at them as close as possible that you can see any difference between them. But all in all, they form exactly one river. The River Jordan means High Yarden in Hebrew. Its definition is the one who descends. Oh man, I love that. This river speaks to us of the ministry of Jesus Christ, who didn't consider equality with God something that he had to grasp and hold on to, but instead made himself like a servant, a man. He submitted not only to death, but the worst kind of death, death on a cross. He descended to raise us up. Oh man. Do you want to be raised up today? This river is nearly 200 miles long. It runs north and south in Israel. It runs from Mount Hermon all the way down to the Salt Sea known as the Dead Sea. It's about 100 feet wide to one mile wide depending on the flood stage in the season. By the time you get somewhere like the crossing of the Jordan... In the book of Joshua, it was flood stage, so it was much wider. You know, some people have a really hard time coming to Christ. Others, he just picks, and it's beautiful. But it's the same Jordan in both cases. It was the site of the nation's most severe judgment in Numbers 14, where an entire generation of millions of people were condemned to death in a desert because of their faithlessness. But 38 years later, it was the site of the nation's most awesome form of salvation in Joshua 3 when they went into the land. It was both judgment and salvation, much like the cross. The Jordan River begins and ends in Israel just like salvation begins and ends in Israel. Romans 1.16 teaches us to not be ashamed of the gospel, but it also teaches us first for the Jew then for the Gentile. Judgment is also first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. You see this in Romans 2, 9. The Jordan River and the geography of Israel teach us something about the ministry of Jesus Christ. They crossed this Jordan River to enter into the promises of God. They crossed from the east side to the west side. Somebody say east side. side. Now give me a west side. This is an interesting thing in the Bible because these directions will come back to us 
by the end of the message. The fact that the Jordan River is typologically likened unto Jesus is undeniable in the Scripture, and I'm going to make use of that type today. Turn with me to James 3, 11. Say, there when you were there. James 3.11 asks a pertinent question. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is supposed to be no. And yet we know many times in our life, if we were the spring that he was speaking of, you know that fresh water and salt water can flow out of the same mouth. Have you ever loved your wife and thought the most amazing things and then got into a small argument and said something that no one should ever say? Don't raise your hands. Yeah, let me just tell you, I know that that's happened. may have even happened to me a few times. More than a few times. But God is not like that. He is a pure source. There is nothing about him that is tainted. He's not yes this time and no this time. His promises are always yes and amen. He is altogether trustworthy, altogether true. He is described as the rock of Israel because of his unchanging nature. In other words, he's not capricious and fickle like Allah. Allah represents Satan. Yahweh God is completely different than that. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. It's never abrogated. It's never set aside. Somebody say, that's good news. This very great question, of course, should have the answer no. But what you do with the water from a source makes all of the difference. I have one more picture to show you and then no more pictures. There are two bodies of water in Israel that are major bodies of water. The first is the lake at Tiberias that the Bible calls the Sea of Galilee. The second is the Dead Sea. This is an incredible thing because the Dead Sea is in the north. I'm sorry, the Sea of Galilee is in the north and the Dead Sea is in the south. When you look at these two, they look the same from an aerial photograph, except maybe the Dead Sea is seen as much larger. They're not the same. They're not close to the same. And yet they flow from exactly the same source. Those three headwaters of the Jordan form the Jordan. The Jordan enters the Sea of Galilee and exits the Sea of Galilee. Then the Jordan continues to flow south until it reaches the Dead Sea where it has no exit. If you go to the Galilee, it is teeming with life. There are fish everywhere. There's a fishing industry there. You can eat fish that uh, some enterprising Israeli has named the St. Peter's fish. And he can charge you $49 for one of those. Although it's a really bony perch that's not worth $3, but gullible tourists do this. When you go to the Dead Sea, there is nothing of any value in it that is living The only things of value in it are dead minerals. There is no life there. Galilee sits at an elevation. You have to ascend to get to it. The Dead Sea has been driven into the earth and is the lowest place on the surface of the face of the earth. And yet they're fed from the same spring. Do you mean that two entities can receive water from the same source 
and the water is fundamentally changed based on what you do with it? Yes, I think we see the same thing playing out in church all around us. Not even among the lost. Among those who are in the body of Christ. And since this is majoritively the body of Christ this morning, that's who I want to speak to. It's never our aim to preach to people who aren't here. It's our aim to preach to those who are. Should I be preaching to you today or someone else? Should I be preaching about you today or about someone else? Should I be aiming at you today or should I aim somewhere else? See, the very fact that we don't like it when the pulpit is talking about us says something about what we expect from church. When you go to a doctor's office, you don't expect him to tell you about your neighbor. You expect him to tell you about you. This morning, we're going to see what we're doing well, and we're going to see where we need work. Amen? Amen. Man, I'm a work in progress. Are you? Do you want to make some progress? Amen. Let's go do it together today. These two bodies of water have the same source, but totally different outcomes. Go with me to James 2.18. It was one of the founding scriptures of this ministry. In James 2.18, it says, But someone will say, You have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what? He did. Somebody say what he did. When he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. If he didn't do it, how complete would his faith be? It would be incomplete. But he not only believed, his actions supported what he said he believed. So his faith was completed. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Would you like to be called God's friend? You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Abraham received from the Lord and then he went on to do exactly what the Lord does. He became just like the source he was receiving from. This is why he was called God's friend. You know, James' sin is knowing the good that you ought to do and not doing it. That's James 4.17. When Abraham realized what God wanted him to do, he did it. That was faith and faith-based action. And that faith and action was credited to him as righteousness. How many of you are sick of hearing the right things and knowing that they're not going to be done. Man, it hurts, doesn't it? It's a common thing for people to say churches are full of hypocrites. Our response has always been, why don't you come and be a real Christian? Show us how it's done. Help us out. We want to show our faith by what we do. I'm going to submit to you before we even finish this passage. 
that when the Jordan River pours into the Sea of Galilee, it collects there. It creates life there. But the reason that it never becomes stagnant, the reason that it never causes death, and the reason that things can live there is because the same amount pouring in is also pouring out. There is nothing that is selfish about the Sea of Galilee. He is just like Jesus. He receives from the Father... And then he gives to his fellow man. If this defined the spirit-filled church, then we would truly be spirit-filled. There would be no parlor tricks. There would no be no seeking Jesus for trinkets. What we would be doing is receiving from the Lord for the benefit of our fellow man. Is that what you want to do? Because the Dead Sea has received as much water from the source as the Sea of Galilee. It's deeper, it's wider, and it's been in existence, according to geologists, longer. And yet nothing lives in it. Precisely because nothing flows out from it. We must be Christians who breathe in the Spirit and also exhale the works of the Spirit. We must be Christians who are receiving from the Lord and showing in our actions that we are obeying the Lord and what He told us to do. When we get our north-south relationship right, when we get the relationship between Israel's descending river and the Sea of Galilee right, when we get our relationship with the Father right, it shows up in an east-west crossing. You start to move into the promises that God has for you. The reason I'm so proud of this church right now is despite the giants that are involved financially, despite the sacrifice that is involved in your time, despite all of the hardships on a church where it seems as if everybody is pregnant or wants to be pregnant, you have gone to the nations of the world. You have sacrificially given. And what has been given to you, you have made available to everyone who will receive it. This is proof that God will continue to fill us with His Spirit. That He will meet uh, meet uh, our needs because we are doing His work. I've never been so proud of a group of people as this. Have you been discouraged as you do God's work that some of your behavior is less than optimal. Three of you. What what about the rest of you? Have you ever been disappointed in yourself? Have you ever praised the Lord with all of your heart and then done something that was not particularly praiseworthy that you don't want to define your life? Amen. Me too. Verse 25 is for us. It may not be for everybody, but it is definitely for us. In the same way. Somebody say in the same way. Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You know, Rahab is called the prostitute three times in the Brit Hadashah, the Newer Testament. But she's never called a liar. Not one time. Whatever she was, the Bible acknowledges, just like you. We were sinners. But now, even when she does not do this particularly right, not how you would teach it in Sunday school, 
you know, they went mm, that way. The Bible considers her actions that were done out of trust in the Lord an act of righteousness, and she even makes it into the human ancestry of Christ. Oh, man. Maybe you haven't gotten every detail right. But is the overall direction of your life showing that you trust the Lord more than you trust yourself? Is the daily desire and, and, and will to implement the word based on a trust that Jesus Christ is directing you correctly and that you don't have the right to disobey him? Is that the overall theme of your life? Then you won't be known as a sinner. You will be called a saint. A prostitute is something that Rahab was. And even though she lied, that's not what she became. She became a mother to the messianic line. Oh man, life can come from you. You just have to point your life in the direction of trust in Jesus and never back up. You know, this woman never had the gospel preached to her in a way that is defined in the scripture, and yet she knew it was true. She watched people. And the people that she was watching, there were only two of them that were righteous. But she still got the gospel. Is that incredible? She wasn't particularly well suited to receive the gospel. It's not as if she was saved in a seminary or a theological institute. This says something about our God's desire to restore the broken. And that is where our message is going today. Do you want to be restored? Do you want to restore others? It's going to take us receiving from the source. And what we receive, we must give. Nothing is for you. Michael's shirt, undo your arms, Michael, says, it's not about me, it's about him. I would add to that, it's not about me, it's about them. The gospel of Jesus Christ came to you free of charge, and it is our job to bring it to the rest of the world free of charge. We cannot tell our brothers in India that are making less than a dollar a day to fly to our great building that they should be impressed with to come and get the gospel. We must go to them. We cannot look at everyone else in the world and say, we are praying for the coming of Christ right now, His second coming, when you have not heard about the first. We have to undo the selfishness that we've inherited and make our lives about giving what we have received. Say, giving what we have received. This is the surefire way to make sure God will continue to pour into you. Amen? Listen to John 7, and we're going to pick up in verse 37. Say there when you were there. Amen. How are we doing in the back of the room? We getting there? In John 7, verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast... Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. 
Has Jesus been glorified now? Oh, come on, church. You're missing an opportunity. Has Jesus been glorified now? He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is in a glorified body at the right hand of God. He's exalted above every name. Has Jesus been glorified? Then the Spirit has now been given. John 7, 37 and 38 For spirit-filled churches are an anthem. And we believe with all of our heart that what this verse is about is being filled with the Spirit. Is that true? Is that true? Today I'm going to see if we can maybe look at that differently. We think that this verse is about being filled with the Spirit. By this he meant the Spirit. I understand why we think what we think about it. But back up. To verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Is this about receiving the Spirit or is this about the Spirit flowing out of you? What is the end result of coming to Jesus and drinking? It's not that you are filled. That's where the process starts. When you come to him and drink, he does fill you. But if you have really drunk until you are full, then he flows out of you. Do you hear the difference in emphasis? Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. And oh man, I do want the Lord to fill me with all of my heart. But do you know what the point of being filled is? That he would flow out of you. See, without meaning to, we put... All of the emphasis on the wrong syllables. And it's true, but it just doesn't quite catch the spirit of the passage. The passage is a golden vessel. That's what's happening on the last and greatest day. Being poured into 12 earthen vessels as they sing from Isaiah about the waters of the well of salvation. Those 12 earthen vessels are the tribes of Israel. Did they keep the gospel or did it reach as far as you? See, God is filling us for them. Everything that he has done for you, he is doing so that you will do it for someone else. Is there any room... For selfishness in the gospel. Did Jesus take any me time? Did Jesus thank the Father for filling him without concern for his fellow man? No, even when he was being killed on a cross, where were his thoughts? On others. You see, the gospel is necessarily and essentially outward focused. You will never be happier in your life than when you feel Him flowing through you. You think that what will make you happy is when more attention is given to you. You think what will make you happy is when you get to do more things that you desire. What will actually make you happy and the purpose for which you were designed is when He flows through you without restriction. Oh, come on, man. Do you want Him to flow through you? This outflowing of the Holy Ghost is the major emphasis in the Scripture. It is the outflowing that causes life. 
It is the difference between Galilee and the Dead Sea. We are filled for a purpose. And when that purpose begins to be met, it is life-giving. Go with me to Matthew 15. When you get to Matthew 15, 29, say, I'm there. Wow, that was really fast. Who was there first? Wow. Frank, I'm just saying your wife beat you there by a considerable distance, you know. It's all right. Women were the first to see Jesus resurrected. Jesus came into the world through a woman. Women are the only ones that were said to have supported his ministry, although I'm sure others did. There are many amazing things about being a a woman. I really like the one that God gave me. I love you, Jen. She's turning red on the front row. If you don't know, Jennifer is my wife. The blonde-haired one down here. She's the sexiest grandma that I've ever been around. Let's get back to preaching. So in Matthew 15, in Matthew 15, beginning in verse 29, Jesus left there and went along the sea of... Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Every bit of anointing that the Lord poured into Jesus... Jesus released to his fellow man. And where did he do it? At Galilee. His entire ministry centered around Galilee. You know where his ministry never centered? Around the Dead Sea. Because the Dead Sea was a place where everything that was good went to die. (laughs) But the Galilee was a place where what was poured in was also poured out. This is a cautionary tale for us. When God is doing something good for you, who is it really for? Everyone else. And if we could get that deep down in our soul, when you find $10, you don't assume it's for you. You look for the one that God wants to give it to through you. There's nothing wrong with the Lord meeting your needs. And the filling of the Holy Ghost is meeting my every need. If you have the anointing of the Holy Ghost, you have everything that you need. But if you weren't praying for it, if you weren't asking God for it, and it came to you, who must it be for? And it takes work to go find them. But what a special thing when a man goes from one side of the world to another, shows up and says, the God of Israel cares about you. And I brought you something on his behalf as an ambassador from him. I can tell you it reduces grown men to tears. It transforms lives. This is why God blesses missionary efforts. And I wish we didn't call them missionary efforts. We should simply call them the works of Christ. Because we put missionaries in another category. And the truth is, the entire body of Christ is one missional effort. Or it's not the body of Christ. It's something else who is received from the source, but is not doing what they should with it. You know, the Bible is also largely the story of two women. One is a prostitute and the other is a bride. They both give themselves, but one does it for a reward and the other does it selflessly because she loves her husband. 
Yeah, let's pick up in the next passage. Matthew 28 and verse 10. In Matthew 15, we saw that the beginnings of Jesus' earthly ministry centered in Galilee. A lake that had a source that fed it and also it poured outward. In Matthew 28.10, in one of Jesus' last actions in his earthly ministry, it says, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now I'm straying from the Peshat a little bit and, and leaning into Ramez here. You will never see Jesus quite like you see him when your life looks like the Galilee. When you're pouring out as much as he is pouring in, when you're thinking, Lord, I thirst like Samson, and if you don't give me more, I'll die because I've just given all that there is. When you begin to live that way at all times and in every place, whether your spouse is in town or out of town, whether you're with your children or not with your children, whether you're on vacation or you're at work, when your life is about receiving from heaven so that you can give to your fellow man, you see Jesus as he really is, and not as you wish him to be. The rest of the world tends to view Jesus as a cosmic genie, there to answer all of their problems and fix their needs. And that's what they want from the gospel, and that's what they get from the gospel. And certainly that's a place to start. If he doesn't restore us, how can we be restoring others? It is a place to start. But when he fills your life and you don't turn to go fill other lives, what was once living and vibrant begins to sink lower and lower into earthly and base things. It becomes stagnant and it dies. How many ministries, how many Christians have you known that started so well and somehow or another they got off track? Well, what happened? When they had nothing, everything that they didn't have, they were willing to give away. And as God blessed them with more and more and more, they were literally choking themselves with their own possessions. When a ministry is in a garage and all it has is $100, it's glad to give the $100 to you. It's just $100. When it's a million dollars, it feels harder, but it's exactly the same principle. If we want to be living and thriving with life, we can take a message from the church in Ephesus, Turkey, and we can go back and do the things we did at the beginning, never deviating. You know, if popularity is not what you want, if the accumulation of wealth is not what you want, if what you want is not a life of comfort and ease, but a life of service, then we can have that always. He'll pour in as much as you pour out. Oh man, I want Him to flow from us. Don't you? With all of my heart, I want Him to flow from us. We're not through. It's not time to rest on our laurels. There is no time to rest on your laurels. Do you know why? They're dying around the world. We cannot feast while they faint. Our heart has to beat for the rest of the world. And the rest of the world starts immediately outside of your home. Immediately outside of the church. The more that Jesus began and finished his ministry in Galilee because the Jordan River 
flowing in and out of the Galilee was a life-giving example to everyone. Can we follow that example? Galilee is a symbol of a believer that is filled and is now flowing outward. Unselfish, unrestricted, uninhibited by the world, unintimidated, undefiled, unyielding to the powers of hell and overcoming its very gates. You know, do you want to overcome the gates of hell? Man, with all of my heart. I had to shoot my little dog the other day. I was just back in town. I've loved that little dog for a long time. I laughingly joked and said there are a few people that I know that I could have executed easier than him. I'm ready for death to be put down. I'm ready for sin to be eradicated. We say, well, that will happen when the kingdom comes. You have the ability to bring the kingdom one life, one family, and one nation at a time. Jesus will bring it in its fullness, but every time we let Him flow out of us, you are erasing the effects of death. You are rolling back the effects of sin. You are extending the kingdom of God into people's lives. How do you want your life to be defined? See, I want with all of my heart to be outward flowing. In Revelation 21, verse 3 shows us the heart of God that began in the garden and it returns all the way back at the end of the book to the very same thoughts. Say there when you're there. And I heard a loud voice. Have you noticed that Jesus spoke in a loud voice? That even the angel speaking for Jesus in the book of Revelation says in a loud voice? My wife tells me sometimes I get too wound up while I do this. She says, you know, you were yelling. I said, well, I'm in the pulpit exactly like I am everywhere else. (laughs) When you're excited about something, it's, I mean, ladies, do you want your husband to look at you and go, I love you? Or do you want him to show up outside of the house and announce it to the neighbors? Look, Would you rather receive flowers when nobody's around or in front of everybody you know? Don't you lie to me. I see what you post on Facebook. You know, it's our anniversary and then you have cropped your pictures and stretched them and found one 35 years old. You know, we want the rest of the world to know that we are loved, right? I want you in a loud, confident, full of love voice to let the world know that they are loved by the Father. That the ministry of Jesus Christ is showing that. That the power of the Spirit is the only way to walk in unison with Him. Revelation 21. And I heard in a loud voice from the throne, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to him who is thirsty. I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this and I will be his God and he will be my son. Think on what you are hearing. 
In one sense, God is doing it all for us. In another sense, he puts the spring inside of us and says, if we overcome, then we inherit all of this. How do you overcome? You have to drink deeply of the Spirit and you have to pour out exactly what was poured in. Say, oh man, we're Spirit-filled believers. What makes you Spirit-filled? We speak in tongues. I speak in tongues every day since He filled me. All all day. I love speaking in tongues, but that does not make you Spirit-filled. Say, well, we prophesy. Prophecy does not make you Spirit-filled. Those are signs manifestations of the Spirit, but they are not the totality of the Spirit. In fact, the biggest sign that a believer is filled with the Spirit of God is when that believer is doing the things that God does. Like making an appeal to a dying world. My power to witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, you will be empowered to represent God, not empowered to be entertained, not empowered to sit and soak, not empowered to be stationary, empowered to be revolutionary. Oh, come on, church. Why are you empowered to be revolutionary? You're doing such a fine job of this. I don't know churches that are doing what you're doing. And yet I sense we're just scratching the surface. Do you want to go further or only a respectable distance in the eyes of your peers? Do you want to go all the way with Jesus? Or do you just want to date Him on Wednesday and Sunday? See, I'm all out for Him. And I believe that you're all out for Him. The overcoming springs of the Lord will enter you so that you can become an overcomer. The overflowing will go to the rest of the world. He wants to restore you so that you can restore others. Who is your eye on this week? Who are you praying for this week? What are you fighting to see the cords of injustice loosed? When is the last time you denied yourself for the benefit of someone else? We need to target those God wants to restore. Amen? Oh man, there's good news here. If you're in the house today and you need to be restored, we're going to start with you. If you're in the house and you've experienced restoration, we're going to target others. We're going to go down range and we're going to hit that target. The living God will knock out of our way giants as we walk in faith. I want to show you something in the law. You know I like the law, the prophets, and the writings. Go with me to Genesis 20. One of our students taught me this the other night. There is no better lesson than you'll ever get in your life than from one of your disciples. They already know what you know. You taught them. Now, when they have something to share, it's because you don't know it. Isn't that good news? You should have somebody pouring into your life and you should be pouring out into somebody's life. You need to walk with a Barnabas figure that is like a father. You need to walk with a Paul figure that's like a brother. And you need a Timothy figure that is somebody you are helping to grow in Christ. Nobody should be the Dead Sea. Man, that's salty. Genesis 20 and verse 9. Then Abimelech called to Abraham and said, What have you done to us? Can we say that... Abraham did a bad thing to Abimelech. Abimelech says, uh, wow, who's that woman? She's my sister. In a moment of cowardness, 
in a moment of failure in sin, Abraham tells a half-truth, which is, of course, the same as a whole lie. And Abimelech takes Abraham's wife into his house. As a result, God is not willing to let the holy race be polluted. He's not willing to let Abimelech violate Sarah, and no children are born in the house. And the implication is that there is some kind of STD that breaks out on everybody in the house. Can I tell you that's a bad day? (laughs) I hope that was not the voice of personal experience anywhere. Look, one way to get our attention, there are places that, uh, that you can be stricken that get your attention. Abimelech says, what have you done to us? <coughs> How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt on me and my kingdom? You have done, you have done things to me that should not be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, that's always a bad start to a conversation. There is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Can I say we don't rightly assess others sometimes? Abimelech's hearing from God, but Abraham assumes he's a pagan. Don't assume people are unbelievers that you meet until they show you. Don't assume they're believers until they show you. (laughs) Um, Anyway, besides, she is really my sister, half truth, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. That's weird. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. That would be a sermon for another day. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you live wherever you like. To Sarah he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is the, to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Are you a little confused as to why Abimelech is paying Abraham when Abraham's the one that wronged Abimelech? If somebody else sins against you and you do something that is not what God has instructed you to do as response, you also sin. We see Abimelech is the wronged party, but the truth is there's no right party here. Abraham did wrong and Abimelech did wrong because God did not highlight Sarah as his spouse. And he took her anyway because it's what he wanted. How important is it to be led of the Spirit? So Abimelech is taking responsibility for his wrong action. And he's making sure through restoration that no one is harmed. Watch what Abraham does. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his slave girls, so they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every room, womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Is that good news for the uh, Egyptians? Or Philistines, rather? Abimelech's a Philistine title that means God is my father. Is that good news for them? You know, there's no chapter break in this passage. And what I mean by that is we've just gotten to the end of chapter 20 and so you have to wait till tomorrow's quiet time to read chapter 21. 
You can Instagram it with a cup of coffee, you know. But in the original letter, there is, there is no chapter break here. Pick up in verse 21 with chapter 20 in mind. Now. Somebody say now. now. The Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant. When did Sarah become pregnant? After Abraham prayed and Abimelech was healed and their household got a baby. You know, in the Hebrew, the word now was not there. The word is actually va, and it means and. If you read it that way, it, it actually, the NIV helps us here in a way that I'm not sure it's helping us. The Hebrew literally says that Yahweh took note of Sarah, and Yahweh took note of Sarah. When you're looking at this, we transition smoothly from Abraham's action in praying for someone to get healed and them having children, and God turned to Sarah. What was the great need in Abraham's life? A child. And it was when Abraham was praying for other people to be healed and have children that God met his need. See, when we flow outward, it creates a kind of hydrodynamic pull, a kind of flow that when something is going outward, there is almost a suction from earth to heaven saying, I now need more, Dad. And he meets that need. When you are outward focused, heaven meets your request. Man, the best position you could be in then is a pauper, a beggar. Lord, I've given all the way you've given me. And he says, "Ah, blessed are the poor for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. See, you will have all of heaven's resources when you have given away all the resources that you have. And if this is an ongoing process in your life, you're like the Sea of Galilee with equal amounts coming in and going out and you're thriving with life. Would that be good news? Despite both men's sin, God brought healing. When Abraham began restoring Abimelech, then God took note of Sarah. It ought to remind you of Proverbs eleven twenty five. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Why do you want what you want from the Lord? Are you praying for things from the Lord for the benefit of others? Or are you praying for things that you might use them on your own desires? When we begin desiring the right things, then the Lord gives us all the desires of our hearts. This is the basis of Psalm 37. I want to show you something in Isaiah 49. Could we put it on the screen? Isaiah 49, verse 8. This ministry received this uh, word from the Lord in Isaiah 49. And on eleven fifteen of 2016, God spoke it to us. And we've taken it quite seriously. We believe that there's an entire region of the world that was an ancient Persian uh, region that stretches all the way from Romania to Iran and down to Egypt and uh, even over as far as the parts of northern Greece, a huge region that we're supposed to sow hundreds of families into. It's most of the Middle East, and we believe that our job is to see people born again and restored. 
Listen to this verse, starting in verse 8. This is what the Lord says, In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. There are desolate inheritances all around us. Some of them have received from the Lord, but they never learned to outflow directly, correctly. All around us, people have squandered what God is giving them. And God might be doing His work in us for the purpose of restoring them. We know what it is to see a life transformed for Jesus. We know what it is to see a family transformed for Jesus. We're working on the nations. We recently got to see a church completely transformed for Jesus. Restoring desolate inheritances. To say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pastures on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them besides springs of water. The key to the Christian life is just as much flowing out as God ever poured in. How much has He given you, church? How many of you love the passage that says immeasurably more than I could ask for or imagine? How many of you love that passage? Tell me now. Do you love it? You know what that means? We have to pour out immeasurably more than we could ask for or imagine. We need to give as much to the kingdom as we are receiving from it. And that could only happen if the supernatural power of the Holy Ghost was invested in you for it. Because it's not within our strength or ability. But I went from brawling in a parking lot, defending Jennifer's honor, and I'm teasing, it wasn't her fault at all, it was mine, in high school, to an ambassador for Jesus Christ overnight. I had no idea where God would send us and what would happen, but I can tell you if you hold nothing for you, and your desire is to give all to everyone else, then immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine will not only come to you, it will flow right through you. Amen? Let's move on to Psalm 51. We've gone from the law to the prophets to the writings. In Psalm 51, a very familiar psalm, that I now need glasses to read in one of life's little cruelties. Pick up with me in verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God. The word create here is bara. You could have said asa, which is more like to make from something. But bara means to create out of nothing. To create ex nihilo in Latin. It means literally from nothing, make something. David did not ask God to remake what was there. He asked him to put something brand new in him. Bara is a verb that only God can be the subject of. Nothing else in the scripture, bara. Only God, bara. He makes something from nothing. He looks at David and says, I will bara in you a pure heart. David is asking and we know that God did it because he goes down in history as a man with a heart after God's. 
Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew instead a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. How many times do you hear me in that passage? Me, 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 me. The only reason that is okay is because David really needed the restoration. But look at the next verse. Then, somebody say then. Then. I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. See, when God has turned His attention to you, you begin to turn your attention to them. When you have been saved and set free, one of the ways that you know the work is genuine is you can't help but want to see them saved and set free. Lord, fill me. Why? Lord, heal me. Why? Lord, save me. Why? Lord, bless me that I might be a blessing to the rest of the world. Mighty God, choose to use me, a broken creature, because everything you put in me, I will give to every other person I find. This is the life of Christ. This is how you carry around in yourself His life and you die daily that it would be revealed. Nothing for you. Nothing in reserve. All that He flows into you, you flow out to others. This is the exact opposite of the gospel of greed that has overcome our time. Why does God want to bless you? To bless others. We could do this all day long. Psalm 67 is all about this. The whole word, Genesis 12, begins with the father of the faithful with these very principles. I don't want to take the time to do that. You know that in Acts 1, in verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised. God's into regifting. It's hilarious. Which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized or immersed with water. But in a few days you will be baptized or immersed in the Ruach HaKodesh. God's spirit of holiness. See, when you become like the source, you want to do what the source does. And the more you do what the source does, the more you become like the source. Look at their natural question. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Me, 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 me. Give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. Us four, no more. It's all kingdom just as long as we're the kingdom. Christians are so good at trying to couch this language. Let me just ask clearly, are you more concerned about other people's needs or your need? That tells you how far you still have to go to be like Christ. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive... You will receive... 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I speak in tongues every day. I prophesy more than most people. I am listening to the voice of the Spirit, believing in the full Spirit life. But the work of the Holy Spirit is to represent God to the rest of the world. Not simply to intercede in languages you don't understand or prophesy instruction to those who are already Christians. By the way, who have you prophesied more to in your life? Christians or the lost? Because we have the promise from Paul that if we prophesy to the lost, they'll be cut to the heart and say, surely God is among them. But we spend most of our time speaking the anointed word of God to people who already know the anointed word of God. Have you ever considered that the manifestations of the Spirit that are given to the church were actually for the world? Not for our entertainment? Now, I'm not trying to be ugly. I love our church. We've grown up together, all of us. I love what we do. And it was never about us. We practice in here what we're performing out there. This was the place to learn so that we could go and do in every direction. And you're participating that in admirable ways. But if you want more of the Spirit, there is only one way to get more of the Spirit. You need to let more of Him flow through you. You don't fill jars that are already full. I think maybe the best way we could do this in the place to close this message is in Ezekiel 47. Could you turn there with me? I'm believing that this is a passage that the Lord chose in a prophetic fashion for you. as we go through it, I'm asking you to engage this text in a way that asks about your life before any other. It is so easy to hear the word and think about how it applies to someone else. I'm interested in you looking at how this word applies specifically to you. Are you in Ezekiel 47? In Ezekiel 47, beginning in verse 1, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. As we sit in here today, have you strayed from the entrance to the temple? No, you're here, so that's a start. Man, I'm happy you're here. But have you strayed from the one thing that you know will bring you life? Were you at some point closer to the Lord than you are now? Because if you were just rubbing away all of the Christian niceties from it, that's called backslidden. If you were once closer to Him than you are right now, then right now you stand backslidden. This man is bringing him back to the entrance of the temple. We may need to start by going back to the place that we first found life and saying, Lord, can you rekindle this for me? The Dead Sea probably is the result of what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. At Sodom and Gomorrah, an outcry was raised to the Lord that three figures show up and check out to see if it's as bad as the outcry. 
They ate a non-kosher meal with Abraham. (laughs) It was cheese and lamb. They discussed it. It was then that God says in Genesis 18 that he would use Abraham to save the world by directing his family and what was right. But in the very place where Sodom and Gomorrah once were a thriving plain, now there is a dead sea. It had been driven into the earth so that nothing exited from it. Only things were poured into it. It brought life to Galilee, but it was bringing judgment and death to the dead sea. Do you need to walk away from some things that are causing you to sink low into the earth? Do you know that there are some things going on in your life that don't raise your thoughts up towards Christ? They pull your head down towards earthly things. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. Let that sink in for a minute. The chance for you to go back. The chance for you to go back to the beginning. To be restored and start again is such a beautiful thing. We get a do-over in Christ. We can run back to the first place where we were born again. When it was still pure. When it was still beautiful. When you were still unburdened. As you've learned more about Jesus and learned more about the world. Has your walk become about obligation? Are you no longer doing because you love? You're doing because it's what you do and you can't tell the difference anymore. Has this become for you a heavy and burdensome walk? Because you can go back to the entrance of the temple today. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. For the temple faced east. What direction did it face? When the Bible says something more than once like that, it's the effect of bolding it, highlighting it, underlining it, so that you will get it. What way did the did the temple face? What way did Israel cross uh, uh, from the Jordan? East to west. The temple is facing those who are far from God. The temple is directed towards those who left Eden. The temple is directed in a way to get the attention of those that need to come back. In Genesis 2.8, the garden was planted in the east. In Genesis 3.23, they were put out of the garden on the east side. In Genesis 4.16, the land of Nod, where Cain went, was in the east. In Genesis 11.14, when they built the Tower of Babel, they were moving east. In Genesis 13.11, when Lot separated from Abraham, he set out towards the In Genesis 41, 6, it was a certain kind of wind that came and devoured the good grain. Do you want to guess what direction the wind was blowing? East. Throughout the Bible, God has been facing His temple towards those who needed Him the most. Those who think they already have Him are often seeing the backside of God. But those that know that they need Him, He's facing them. In Exodus 27, 13, the tabernacle entrance is on the east side, not the west, not the north, not the south. In Numbers 2, 3, Judah, the strongest tribe, the praising tribe, they camped in 
the east. In Deuteronomy 1.1, Moses was in the desert east of the Jordan when God gave him his word. In Matthew 2, 1 through 2, the star that represented Jesus appeared in the See, we have a God who restores you because he wants to see others restored. So when he builds a building, it faces those who need restoration. When he changes a heart, when he changes a life, they turn towards those who need restoration. He fills you because he wants you to be restoring others. Everything about him is facing those who were lost. Water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. Then he led me through water that was... Can I tell you? That there is a filling with the Spirit and there is a filling with the Spirit. How many times can you see that Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts? It was not a one-time Holy Spirit badge that he got and then he graduated stamped as a USD Christian. He was filled many times. How about Paul in the Word? Then Paul, full of the Holy Spirit. Well, why did he need to get filled? Because he had been pouring out. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be being filled with the Spirit. Why would you need to get filled again? I asked my pastor this so many years ago, and at least he's honest, he didn't have the right answer. He said, I guess it leaks out. No, friends, he doesn't leak out. You are supposed to be pouring out His goodness. If He leaks out, then it's not intentional. It's not directed. It was not the will of God. It just happens. Do you want to pour Him out? Man, you have to get full. And when you get full, you have to overflow to ankle deep. When you ask your parents to go swimming, do you want to be ankle deep? What kind of child wants to be ankle deep? You can tell the truth. We have them at all ages in here. When are they comfortable ankle deep? When they're tiny and immature. You don't see 17-year-old boys going, No, Mom, put me in the kiddie pool. Please take me to the shallow end. Because as they mature, they want to go deeper. They want to be more full. They want to risk it all for the gospel. Are you growing up in Christ or do we want to sit in the kiddie pool? Every example that has ever been set here was set for the purpose of moving you to action. Life-changing ministries is ministries, plural. It was never life-changing ministry. This is not you show up and watch what we do. This was our purpose is to move you to the works of Christ. Our purpose is to prepare you for what God designed you for. We fail if you don't pour out. The reason that we pour into you is so that you will pour into others. And that is why Christ is pouring into us. Do you want to go deeper than ankle deep? I can hear the voice of the Spirit calling us deeper. 
He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was needy. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. Well, we've gone a respectable distance. We're out in the water. This is further than most. Yeah, but it's not where He's called you. Out in the deep is where you see His wonders. you got to get out on the sea of humanity. If you're going to see Him split seas, you have to get deeper. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that... I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. I was listening to Don Potter, as I so many years have, and he said, there's a river in God's presence that you should jump right in. He said, quit putting your toe in. The water's fine. Jump right in. He said, you're not going to swim. The best you can hope for is to drown right away. The faster you die in Him, the more life you will find. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? A river that no one could cross. John 3.34 says, For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. Do you want a gallon? Do you want ten gallons? Do you want a drum? Do you want a tanker? What is it that you want? Because He will give without limit, but you cannot hold without limit. I never intend for our church to be more than about 200 people. I would rather start 200 churches. But at 200 people, I want to pastor all of Houston. I just want to do it 200 people at a time. I want as many going out as there are coming in and going out to healthy church plants, going out to do the ministry God has called them to do. We need a flow in and we need a flow. That's the only way to be healthy in Christ. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a number of trees on each side of the river. We got anybody in here that's a horticulturist? Anybody with a green thumb? Got one lady in the back. Anybody else? The only kind of things I saw grown in my home growing up, my parents grew in a stereo and dried on their dash. And uh, I never learned to grow it, praise God. How many times in our life Have we allowed our wells to become polluted? And we say, oh, no, no, I haven't sinned. I didn't do something wrong. The living water is moving water. Ma'im chaim. Water that is life. It has to be. If it is not moving, it gets yucky pretty quick. In fact, it's not something that anybody wants to drink. Have you ever visited somewhere and you thought, Golly, if that church represents Christ, I don't want to say anything bad about the church, but I don't think I could make it there another few minutes. I was dying of boredom. There, see, the paramedics came in and they pulled out 14 survivors before they found the one with the problem. You know, because everybody was motionless. Everybody was dead. You don't have to sin to corrupt your life. I mean, it is sin, but it's not like you think of sin. All you have to do is refuse to act, refuse to pour out, which is, of course, sin. 
We think of sin as the guy who is viewing something that he shouldn't, the woman who is doing something that she shouldn't. And those things are sin, but the sin is when we know the good that we should do and we're not doing it. For thousands of years, the Dead Sea was getting polluted like this. More and more and more. But it was life-giving water that was being poured into it. It just stopped being life-giving when there was no outlet. In fact, the Dead Sea is still sinking. It is going lower and lower and lower. Is sin doing that to us? Instead of having victory over sin, are we sinking lower and lower and lower into it? There are trees on either side of this river that is coming from the throne of God. You know, Matthew 3.10 says the axe is at the root of the trees that don't bear fruit. Do you think we're actually talking about trees here or do you think we're talking about something else? Jude 12, men without the Spirit are autumn trees with no fruit. Do you think we're talking about trees or do you think we're talking about something else? In Mark 8.24, a blind man was healed and he see... He said, I see men walking about as trees. In Isaiah 61 and verse 3, they will be called oaks of righteousness. Do you think we're literally going to become oak trees? Or do you think trees speak about something? In Jeremiah, where where did you want to be planted? By a stream. Not by a lake. A stream. What's the difference? One is flowing. One is moving. One is sitting still. He said to me, the water that flows towards the eastern region, water is supposed to flow from those who are gods to those who are trapped in the east. And it goes down into the Arabah, that's the Jordan Valley, where it enters the sea, that's the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Do you mean to tell me that the same water that made it salty can make it fresh? Yes, because the problem was never with the water. It was always with the container. Salt and fresh water don't come from the same source. Everything that God does is pure Everything that He does is loving. It's always perfect. But if we don't react rightly to it, our life sours. If we react rightly to it, life comes. There is no better example of hell on earth. When you go to Gehenna right now, it's a Palestinian neighborhood, and they may think it's hell, and in some ways it looks like hell. But there is no better example than Sodom and Gomorrah's former site, which is now the Dead Sea. There is no life in it. It is driven deep into the earth. There seems to be no hope. And at Christ's return, water flows from His temple. And where does it flow? Straight into the lowest place on the planet and brings life. What does that speak to you about God's desire to restore? How does that speak to you about His ability To bring back to life areas where you have been beat down and in the earth. We have lost children together. 
We've buried our friends. We've seen some apostatize themselves. We've been through the most painful events that human beings can go through. And we're still here. And the life-giving flow of the Spirit can come and touch every one of those places. It may look like something you don't want to drink at the moment. But how beautiful does this become? As the Master takes pure, fresh water. Look what happens as Judah pours this in. You just say, how much do you want? How much do you want? If it can't pour out, then he can't pour more in. But the more that is poured in, something begins to happen to this. It doesn't happen all at once, but it is happening. Somehow or another, the pain, the saltiness, the low place, the swamp that you've been beat into the earth by the world... The more spirit that is flowing into you, because the more is flowing out of you, there is a purifying that is happening the whole time. It's getting clearer on the inside and clearer on the inside and clearer on the inside. How full of the Holy Ghost do you want to be? How much should be poured in there? The more that is poured in and poured out, the more it becomes fit to drink again. This is something that is fit for the Master, fit for the world, and fit to drink. There's only two things that I like to drink in steins that size. God will pour into your life as much as you will pour out and something happens to you as you do this. The more you are selfless, the more you give of yourself, God will give you more of Himself. And the more He puts in you, the more you want to give away. And this happens and happens and happens until your salty places become teeming with life. These trees become fruit trees in Ezekiel 47. This area becomes life. He even opens it up so that it's like the great sea, the Mediterranean. There's fish of every kind in it. It is better than it was originally. Jesus Christ did not come to take a a dead sinner and make him a better sinner. He didn't come to reform a dead man's life. He came to take dead men and make them living men. He came to take the descendants of Adam higher so that they are in the second Adam glorified in Christ. He didn't come to simply fix your problem. He came to put you above all problems. Do you need a taste of His Spirit? Do you know that there are places in your heart, in your life right now that are not as they should be? They're lower than they should be. Do you remember John the Baptist's message? He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. The rest of the passage says high places become low and low places are raised up. It becomes like a highway. God will take the Dead Sea area and He will make it exactly like the Sea of Galilee. It's what His ministry does. And why will He do it? Because He wants you to go and do it for other people. That's what He wants. He chose you as His representative. 
How full of His presence do you need to be to represent Him? Jim Fleming used to start every meeting with an apology for being so ordinary and representing an extraordinary God. We have but one hope, friends. That's to drink so deeply of Him that people see Him in us. To pour out what He's given us so much that that's what defines our life. Jesus Christ puts you in right relationship with the Father so that you can drink of His Spirit of holiness becoming like Him in all that you do. We're going to stand to our feet now.